Baruch Haba. Once again, listeners, viewers, whatever. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, if you're watching on YouTube or on Odyssey, we're on Odyssey now. Uh, so thank you uh, once again. As always, I'm Scott. I'm Brad. And this is not about us. Well, thanks for joining us again. One more Genesis podcast. Uh, hope you're getting a lot out of this. Uh, hope it's at least challenging you uh, to think about some things again, uh, maybe in a new way. And uh, like we've said before, our greatest hope is that you are, are seeking God yourself. You're doing your own Bible study. You're going after God in your own intimate way. Uh, we, we've said it before. We're not meant... To, to, to come across as arbiters of all truth. You better listen to us or you're in trouble. Uh, we're just digging, we're searching, we're exploring. And one of the things, you know, we're constantly changing ourselves. And, and I notice I re-listen to these from time to time, uh, trying to improve myself and all that kind of thing. And I noticed two podcasts ago, I talked about, uh, we, we talked about in our last podcast, uh, God giving 120 years. Two podcasts ago, I just threw out there uh, the fact that Noah worked for 120 years on the ark. And because, you know, it was just a common thing. I wasn't thinking about it. It just came out. Then in my next, very next podcast, uh, which was my last Genesis study, digging into that, I discovered, you know, that 120 is, is really just a number of people pulled out of the last few verses where God says, I'm going to number, I'm going to number his years. I'm going to give him 120 years. And people just kind of went with that as saying, uh, Noah must've worked 120 years on the ark. That must've been what God was talking about. And I realized there was no real basis for that. We're going to do that. These kind of things. I'm going to give you things now, probably that four years from now, I'm going to look back and go, "Why, why did I say that? I don't know. We're all growing. And I hope you're growing too. So, Brad, invite the one who grows us all into this, please. Absolutely. <clears throat> Yahweh, our mighty, awesome creator. Our God, who, even though we don't deserve it, yeah, even though we couldn't do anything, anything to deserve that love that you have for us, but you, you still said you want us, yeah. you love us, so yeah, much so that you sent that. you in the form of your son to us to save us, to bring us back home to you. Yes. Yahweh, we love you, we cherish you. We want, to, we want to know you more. We want to know you better. We want to understand who we are and what our purpose is from you. So will you help us? Will That's you right. let wisdom and knowledge be our guide, our ally as we look into the into our roots in Genesis, but also as we look into you and getting to know more about who you are. Because ultimately, as Scott has said, as I have said, this is not about us. This is all about you. So please, Lord God, glorify yourself in this. But the hope and prayer, as always, is that we are providing you with respect and honor yes. as we continue these studies. Amen. Lifting you up. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. 
So here we go. Uh, Genesis 6. We're going to do Genesis 6, 5, and 6 today. Um, now Genesis 6, 5 through 7 uh, is kind of, we talked about it last time. Uh, Genesis 6, 1 and 2, and then Genesis 6, 4 are really like one story. Uh, Genesis 6, 3, God interjects a statement, and now he's going to do it again after the whole story is said. Uh, so I'm not going to do the whole thing. I, I had I wanted to stop after 5 and 6 because there's something very important that I wanted to kind of highlight here. But uh, I just wanted to make that statement that 5 through 7 is really God's kind of statement about this uh, before moving on. But Genesis 6, 5 through 6, And Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented Yahweh that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So, now I got to admit that that word repented just jumps out. And it makes a lot of people understand this verse in a way that I feel is incorrect. So we're going to get to that, but I'm not going to hit it right away. I just want to kind of say we're getting to that point. That's, that's kind of the punctuation mark on this whole thing right here. But first, and Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Wickedness. I want to stop there. That is Strong's Concordance number 7451. And we have hit this word before. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Brad, it's the word ra. Oh. And you remember what that means from before? You happen to remember where we got it, where we said it the first time? Not necessarily the meaning, but I just remember it, it could possibly be the uh, the idea behind the god ra. Yeah, well, it it was just fascinating that it's, it's that, it's the same word as ra, the Egyptian god, because, well, this is the word wickedness here. But the first time we came across it was in, it's the same word used in Genesis 2, not... 2.9, for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Evil is raw. So that's where we came across it before. So that's, and that's why we brought it up, because the word, the, the Israeli word for evil is is the same word as the Egyptian god Ra. Yeah. So uh, at least the same pronunciation. Uh, so I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. But here we have, so right here, and God saw that the wickedness of men, uh, so it's the same word, tree of good and evil, but it's um, it means bad or evil. It means, sorry, I keep moving this around. I, I have a tendency, when I'm studying on my own, I, I pace, I walk around, I stare at that wall, I turn around, I look at invisible people over here. I, I, I have a tendency to keep moving. I'm sorry about that. I'll try to focus. <laughs> uh, okay, raw, bad or evil. It, it means affliction. Harm, mischief, sorrow. Uh, so you can see a very negative connotation, but uh, there's very something, wickedness, evil. It, it's like it's like something active is happening here, not just so much a feeling. Now, it does mean sorrow uh, in that, but we can see there's, there's affliction, there's harm. There, there's something actively wrong going on here. And... So Yahweh saw that the wickedness 
of man was great. The raw of man. So it's not just that, I mean, we get into it later. Every imagination, the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In fact, that word, evil, same word, raw. So it's repeated in here. The wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only raw continually. And so he's not just seeing that man is like thinking lustful thoughts. Man is actively perpetrating harm on on everyone around him. Everyone is seeking uh, uh, destruction on everything around them. On on with, with nobody else's uh, interests in mind but their own. Now this word seven four five one raw. I don't think we looked this up last time. I found this interesting. It comes from seven four eight nine raah. Maybe we did last time. I don't remember. But it means to spoil. Literally by breaking into pieces, but figuratively. It means to make or to be good for nothing. In other words, it's bad physically, socially, or morally. So this word raw, wickedness and evil, comes from a word that means it's just, it's spoiled. It's, it's, it's got no value left. There's nothing good in it. It's, it's not good for anything anymore. And this is the condition that the world is in that God's looking at. So... Now, we have a potential for good. We have a potential to be like Jesus. So mm-hmm. even though we have lustful, terrible thoughts, and we have thoughts of being wrathful and all this kind of stuff, they didn't even have that potential. There was, they were good for nothing. Yeah, that's, that's where they're headed at least. That's, that's, huh. the, what's go, that's what's going on here. Interesting. <clears throat> now, as we talked about before, uh, this is what God has already said. Because man is flesh, he's continuing to run away from me. He's continuing to get further and further and further from me. And so for that, I'm going to shorten his lifespan to 120 years. Now some, again, I didn't get too deep into that 120. Uh, but some, I bring it up again because some have argued that it couldn't mean a lifespan. Because... When Noah got off the ark, his sons lived for like 500 years. And people shortly after that lived for a longer time than 120 years. Uh, Man didn't have essentially a 120 year cap for about another, you know, five, six hundred years following the flood. And I, I disagree with that logic and I disagree with that sentiment, but... I'm not going to get into that here. I only mention it because just basically that's where I'm going with it. I do believe it was 120 years, among other things. I do believe it has other connotations like everything God says. Uh, but I do believe it's a general uh, lifestyle, or like life length uh, uh, cap for that reason. We talked about it last time. It's the mercy of God saying... Man is going on so long in his flesh that he's just getting deeper and deeper and deeper in the flesh. And look what we have here. Just what you talked about, the wickedness. It, there, some of the people, if not all of the people, are just good for nothing anymore. There's no good in them. They're just completely wicked. 
They've continued on so long, they yeah. have literally become spoiled. Yeah. Now, and I bring it up because we're going to get into in the last part of this that God has already said, we got in the last time, it was the grace of God to limit man's lifespan. So he's already working on this. And it's going to be very important to come back to. Now, the word picture here, which we've done before, resh ayin, if you remember, we did first, you must see. And that was important. We brought it up because of the tree of the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. We brought up how uh, I believe that man first had to see and understand evil before he could commit sin. Uh, and we also mentioned that raw or wickedness or evil was the experience of Adam, which made sense in that for that picture. And it still makes sense. It's still a part of this. But because of where we are now, I saw a different word picture. And it was what people see or what it is that people understand. Wickedness. Guys, humanity, there's a lot of people want to believe that, that humans are generally good. And... I, I, first of all, I don't believe any of them are historians. <laughs> you, you cannot be a historian, a true historian, and, and believe that mankind is generally good. Uh, but that's, that's just my own personal belief on that. I, I won't go into that. But here we see a word picture. The word picture for wickedness is what people understand. Hmm. And I think that's so apt. Yeah. We need a savior because yeah. we are wicked in and of ourselves. Now, and Yahweh said, saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart. So I'm going to imagination. I'm stopped on that word. Imagination. Now, uh, I was also looking through Bible Hub uh, when discover when when going through this, they translated this word intent. So, and Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now these come these both come from Strong's Concordance number three 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 six, and it is Yetzer. Now it means a form. Now, figuratively, it means a conception. In other words, purpose. So because of that, it can also be translated as mind or imagination. It comes from, now this is very interesting. It comes from 3335, Yatsar, which means to mold into a form, especially as a potter. Now think about that. He is the potter. We are the clay. We know these verses, right? We, we know these references. So we are, we're meant to be his form. We're meant to be molded into his image. But what do we have here? Uh, imagination or the intents of our own heart, the forms of our own thoughts, the forms of our own minds. What does it result in? Wickedness. I mean, here's another clear statement. This is a form. 
a concept, an intent, an imagination, a purpose. This is my heart's desire being manifest into something real, into, into you can think of it as, as it expresses itself physically in a real form in some way, an attack, uh, a machine, a weapon, uh, something, uh, but the, the mind, right now we're talking about the metaphysical, the, the, the mental purpose, the intent behind it is nothing but wickedness. When it comes from our own thoughts, our own hearts, we see a very clear image here that man is just decaying into nothing but evil. So, and also I thought of this too, the potter and the clay. You know, talk about God wanting to form us, God wanting to shape us. So by us shaping ourselves, essentially it's a picture that we're playing God. We are demanding our right to be God, which results in nothing but wickedness. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting to me that, you know, we're seeing... Uh, the start of the days of Noah and in the end times it's going to be similar to the yeah. days of Noah and the things that you're talking about right now I can see happening right now yeah. in the world around us and what's crazy to me is we're doing it in a shorter span of life mm -hmm. they had longer than we to, to get to this point than we do now in a weird way, we're doing it, but we're doing it at an accelerated rate. Yeah, you're not kidding. And in, 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 my, in my lifespan, I've noticed how things have been downgrading to a point where this is, this is what society is now. Any, any imagination or any intent of our heart, any, anything selfish inside here, anything that's wickedness, that's coming to the forefront now more than I've ever seen. And I've seen it getting worse even in my own lifespan. Huh, it's just, that's just interesting to me. So the word picture here, Yod Sade Resh. Now remember, this is just the word picture for imagination, purpose. Uh, I saw the righteous work of Yeshua. So that's, now that's pulled out of this, remember, because this isn't just attached to this you know, verse, right. it's just the word for, and that's what we should have. His imagination, uh, his purpose, the purpose of God was that Yeshua come and save us. The intent, the design uh, behind all of this was that. Now, uh, I pulled that out of this, but also in connection with what's going on right now, you can also treat it as uh, uh, the, the, the inescapable trouble uh, of Adam. So the, the work that Adam did causing him inescapable trouble. Uh, so they're both in here. And they're both a correct picture uh, of what's going on. Now, this was pretty cool. Uh, God says that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So I, I looked up thoughts. It's the imagination of his thoughts. Uh, then then what, what are his thoughts? What, what's going on here with this word? 
Now, thoughts is Strong's Concordance number 4284. Uh, this is going to be a difficult one for me to pronounce. Uh, it's, I I'm, hope I'm doing this correctly, Makashibeth. Mak-ash-e-beth. Makashibeth. No idea if I'm the pronunciation or the, the, the uh, particular syllable that should be emphasized is correct. Um, and it means a contrivance. In other words, concre concretely, it's a texture uh, of something or it's a machine. So it's a machine that you create in order to do something. That is a makashebeth. But abstractly, it means an intention. Something, you, a machine, so to speak, that you formed in your own mind. It's, it's an idea that you're pulling out. It can be a good plan, as in advice. You know, I want to offer you makashebeth uh, in order to help your situation. But it can be a bad plan, as in a plot. Mm. Uh, we're, we're devising uh, a plot to, to destroy, to steal, to, to, to ruin someone's life, something. And along those lines, it can mean an imagination or purpose. So I found that interesting because we just had the very words uh, in the last word uh, of Yetzer. So we can almost translate this as that every imagination of the imagination of his heart. We can translate this as an every purpose of the purpose of his heart. And I kind of saw that repetition, like um, it's, it's repeating itself, so you better pay attention. Mm -hmm. I saw that, that, that two witnesses uh, referring to the same thing. Right. And, it, and it kind of just, it just reinforced the fact that man is wholly given in to wickedness and evil. So that, that was just what I kind of pulled out of that. No, it makes perfect sense. Now, the word picture here, again, for a contrivance. Now, the other one, imagination, you know, a purpose. That can have a, a positive side to it. You know, we can think of that, you know, uh, uh, I have purpose in my life. You know, we think of that as a positive thing. You can have purpose in God. Yeah, uh, but a contrivance kind of has this feeling of, of I'm I'm fixing something I'm you know now it doesn't that that's just a personal feeling because it states very clearly here this can mean a good plan as an advice you know but I think what you're what you're suggesting um, any of these words any of these plots plans anything they can they can go one of two ways it just depends yeah. on the heart uh, behind it mm -hmm. you know a human mm -hmm. wicked heart or do you have God in your heart? And I find it interesting that, um, you know, it's when you see Jesus, um, we're supposed to love Jesus, but I saw that when you so see Jesus in my study, you mm -hmm. could do it with your heart, your mind, your soul. Mm -hmm. You need to have him in your heart more than you need to have your human heart. Yeah. Because uh, the wickedness is in the human heart, but Jesus mm -hmm. is the love that can yes. be in your heart. Put on the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus wants to live in your heart. Mm -hmm. He wants to take over. We talked about that in last week. He wants to abide. He wants to rule. Yep. Uh, yeah, when he's ruling and his will is coming out of you, then it's good. Then, you know, when you rule 
in any in any form, even yep. if Jesus is living in within you, if you're holding something from him and hanging on to that, it's gonna be wicked yeah. inherently. Uh it's gonna be evil. Yeah. Huh. No, you're right. <clears throat> I was just saying this word a contrivance, just that word to me just kind of automatically heads toward the evil side, just in my own personal opinion. Now it doesn't mean it has to be, but in me, my own personal emotional this this being right here that right. you're looking at, it's just I tend to go that way with that word. What's amazing amazed me in your study and my study, just looking at a lot of these words, sometimes they go way off in a different direction than I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times I think they have a negative connotation, and then suddenly it's like, or or, or, a, or what I think is a positive connotation, but then it'll say something yeah. like, you, you know, uh, friendship. You think positive. Mm-hmm. But then there might be something to it of, but be on guard because they'll drag you into right moral decay. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, there, right. there, there is, to a lot of these, it's quite surprising how they can go down a different road than I was originally thinking. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, and that's what this does too. I think of contrivance as generally evil, but it points out in the thing, no, it can be good. Yeah. It can be good. Uh, but in the word picture, I think that might have biased me here. Because mem, kith, sheen, bet, hey, the interpretation I came up with that, that jumped out at me was the chaos of the inner room, which is destroying the house, is revealed. And so I saw this as just these, the wicked thoughts of our heart. And, and our heart is the inner room. Uh, the the we haven't got into this, uh, so I'm just kind of throwing it out there. But the temple, the design of the temple of God, Solomon's temple uh, was the same dimensions, the same build as the tabernacle that the Israelites carried with them through the wilderness. Uh, uh, just a tent became a, a a solid structure with Solomon's temple, but it was the same design in both. Same in the inner room. The holy place, the holiest of holies, is designed by by design meant to be a picture of our hearts. And that is where the Spirit of the Lord dwelt. That is where the throne of God was kept. The Ark of the Covenant, God's throne on earth. And that was meant to be our hearts. Now, it was the centerpiece of the whole tabernacle. The whole tabernacle or the temple was meant to be a picture of the body. Where he where he lives, and so this this had a lot of power to me. The chaos of the inner room, which is totally destroying the body, the house, is revealed. So I saw this in the wickedness, the inner thoughts of their heart, destroying themselves, is being revealed through their actions, through their words through all of the physical things going on, it's being revealed to everyone around them just how evil that they are. Uh, anyone want to, any comments on that? Just, I, I guess I, I, I knew this about uh, the tabernacle and the temple, but right now my mind is just whirling with this thought of, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Holy of Holies, uh, where God resides and he wants to reside in our heart and that represents you know it's a, it's one of those physical representations of 
he resides mm-hmm. here, but he also wants to reside here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just yeah. No, I just I, you, in a, in a, in a in a not so small way, you're kind of blowing my mind right now with just that. And so honestly, it's going to be one of those things where I'm going to edit and I'm going to pick up more of what you said because I got caught up in that image for a moment. Uh-huh. Of, oh, yeah. Yeah. He wants to. Mm-hmm. Oh. And as you know, it's a big thing of mine. And I know it's not Genesis. Well, uh, so but I still want to get into this because we've touched on it here. That's a very powerful spiritual picture. I, You know, I'm saying the physical elements of the Old Testament. God set them up to reveal spiritual truth. And the tabernacle, the the temple of Solomon was exactly that. It was a physical representation of a spiritual truth. And that is God wants to indwell and live right here. Guys, this is his temple. Mm -hmm. You are his temple. And he wants to live in your heart. He wants to be passionately. It didn't say live in your head. He wants to dwell in your heart. He wants to dwell in your emotional center. And again, we've talked about this before. Heart is a Western uh, translation. The original Hebrew is in the bowels, uh, which makes sense. I'm not going to get into that now. That's a whole other thing, a whole other study. But essentially, connect it to your emotional center. That's where Yahweh wants to live. That's where Jesus, the Holy Spirit, wants to indwell. Uh, So when you look at the temple, when you look at Solomon's temple and the tabernacle uh, of of the Israelites traveling through the wilderness, I want you to see yourself uh, because that's what it was meant to prophesy. That's what it was meant to reveal eventually. God's spirit was never meant to stay in that building. It was never meant to dwell in one limited spot on the earth. It was just a physical representation. It was an example of spiritual truth. Don't limit it to the physical. Never, never, never limit it to the physical. The physical, especially in prophecy and end times as we're getting into eschatology and revelation and so on, has a purpose for us understanding what's going to actually happen in this physical world. But it is always, always, always meant to reveal spiritual truth in each one of us. Never forget that. So now, I want to kind of recap everything up to this point. We see the sons of Elohim come unto the daughters of men and join unto them. And we see, we've seen earlier in the line of Cain, we talked about Enoch and, and how it's, talking about the angels were giving knowledge. And we saw earlier in Cain's line how men was just receiving this, all of this knowledge. And, and we see that uh, the, the children of these, the, the, the sons of Elohim and the daughters of men were giants. They were the Nephilim and they were things to cause men to fall. We've gone into all of that. And Yahweh has already said, Before we got to this point, Yahweh has already said, um, this can't go on. This can't go on. Man is just going to keep getting further and further and further from me, so I'm going to shorten his life in order to save him. It's a mercy. We talked about that before. So I want you to remember all of that when we go here. And it repented Yahweh that he made man on the earth. So Brad, I'm going to ask you, 
when you hear that in the English, and it repented Yahweh that he made man emotionally, uh, logically, what is the image that you think of first? Or what, what's a natural image to come across with just that verse? So, I, I, okay, um, if, I, if I didn't know kind of the meaning behind the word repented and some other things, I would just, repented is such a strong word. Mm-hmm. You, 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 when, you, when you are repenting of something, um, you, you, are, you are incredibly sorry. You are, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to make amends. Yes. Um, I find it interesting, though, um, a little, since I know a little bit more about you know, repenting and how it's basically just the idea behind it is just a nautical term to just kind of change directions. If God is love and that's his nature and he repented that he created man, then his nature of love has turned. So, but you can, you, I, yes, you, yeah, you're good, you're right, but you can see, see, you have more knowledge about this than a lot of people, but you can understand why some people would see this and think God went, I goofed, I goofed, I am so I'm, sorry, I, I screwed up so sorry bad. sorry to myself that I yeah. created <clears throat> this. So what a lot of people tend to see is they look at this verse and they say, God made a mistake. Yeah. And God made an error and he's catching that error. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about this in another uh, podcast where I talk about the difference between Jew, Gentile, and Christian, uh, or Jew, Jew, Christian, and Messianic Jew. Orthodox, boy, I'm, I can't even say it right. Orthodox Jew, Christian, and Messianic Jew. That's in another podcast. And to a great extent, the term Christian to a lot of people, it means someone who believes in the New Testament and thinks the Old Testament was, you know, it's history, uh, but it's essentially God putting duct tape on a screw up and going, I'll fix this one day. And it's like the whole Old Testament can just pretty much be tossed aside. It doesn't matter anymore. And that's, verses like this are what lead a lot of people to those kind of ideas. They see God as making a mistake. Mm Mm-hmm. And he repented. Now, this is current definition of the word repent in the English. To turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. So if, if you are an evil man and you come to Jesus, you say, I'm sorry, I acknowledge that is sin. Jesus, take my life. Is that repentance? Yes. Yes, Yes. it, it is repentance. So... With that thought, you acknowledged error and and came to righteousness. Can God repent? Did, did he ever sin? No. Did he ever screw up? Right. No. So, and, and also part of the other definitions of repent, you mentioned before, to feel sorry, self-reproachful, contrite for past conduct, Regret, be conscious stricken about something you've done. To feel such sorrow for sin or guilt as to be dispossessed to change change one's life for the better. So when we see this word repent, in English, we're thinking God went, Oh my goodness, what have I done? Oh, I did not see that coming. 
I didn't see this coming. I messed up. And this is why it's so important to go back to what we just talked about. God, before this verse, before this verse, has already said, I am going to limit man's lifespan as a mercy for him. As a mercy. Because I see he's moving away from me Mm -hmm. slowly with his long lifespan. He's already put in motion the, uh, the grace needed for man to more easily come to him and not leave, not, not go away into hell and damnation forever. We've already seen this is a planned action. Now, the English, the English word uh, repent was created in the 1300s now, the distinction between repent and regret is made in many modern languages, but be, the differentiation is not present in older periods. That's important to understand. Now, one definition, a current definition, a good definition of repent is simply to change one's mind. In other words, you kind of referred to it nautically, it's just to change course, to just go another way. Now that can be a planned thing. In other words, what you were talking about before is something I've, I've shared with you. I'm, I think this is where you got it. Uh, there's a book uh, I've mentioned before another podcast, Rage for Glory. by Stephen. It's about the life of Stephen Decatur. Now, he didn't write it. It's not by him. But it's about the life of Stephen Decatur and a fascinating, fascinating story in there in the War of 1812. Uh, between the Americans and and British, Stephen Decatur, uh, captain of an American ship, came across an English ship in open waters and took it down, just annihilated the ship. He immediately, once they knew the ship was dead in the water, he immediately orders his crew to change course and to sail away. And his own crew was going, "What? Why? We've got them dead to rights. What are you doing, leaving?" The battle, what is going on? And he just kept sailing away. And he sailed away and, he, and, and he, he gave them a couple of hours. And he said, okay, now let's, and I'm, I'm inserting the word here, let's repent of our course and go back to them. Let's turn around. It was always his plan. It was not, it wasn't Stephen Decatur going, you're right. What have I done? Oh my gosh, this is stupid. Let's go back and get them. We had them dead in the water. No, he said, now I've given them two hours to think about what their position is. Because he said, he knew he was a smart man. He said, in the heat of battle, the adrenaline is up. Uh, everything is going on. The idea was you, 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 you crushed a ship's ability to maneuver. In, in other words, its ability to fight. And then you boarded the ship and took it. But he knew that if they would have boarded right there in the heat of battle, the British soldiers were brave and adrenaline's going on and they would have been in a fierce fight, hand-to-hand combat with this ship. He said, no, no, let's sail away and give them time to think about their position and just how beaten they are. And then he came back and then they surrendered without a fight. Because they said, yeah, I mean, basically, we're dead. If they want to, they can sink us. There's nothing we can do. 
and he was able to board the ship, make repairs, and take it, and uh, take the, the ship as a prize, and sail it back to American waters. This is closer to the idea of repentance that God has here. It was a planned maneuver. God is perfect. We've said this before. He exists outside of time. He's seen the ending. He is the ending. He's there already. He knew this would happen. It did not catch him by surprise. We go back to the previous verse. He's already, out of grace, lowered man's lifespan. Now, that goes back to a scientific study that, uh, and I don't have time to get into completely here, but it's the idea that mankind lived so long for a while because there were ice crystals in the atmosphere that were blocking uh, a lot of the harmful radiation. You know about this study, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so we didn't have a lot of the harmful radiation effects that, that cause us to age, that cause us to our, our cells to deteriorate. Man lived for a longer, longer time. What God did is after time, those ice crystals that were orbiting the earth got closer and closer and closer to the earth uh, because when you orbit, you're essentially in a perpetual fall. Any, any satellite in orbit right now is in, essentially in a perpetual fall. You're falling towards the earth, but you're moving forward fast enough that your fall, the, the arc of your fall is enough that you, you just keep missing the earth. Essentially, it's like your fall just keeps missing the, the arc is such that it's a perfectly aligned with the, the, the roundness of the earth and you just keep sort of circling and circling in one continual fall. Uh, well, any satellite will eventually get close enough to the earth. Well, it will, it will uh, earth's uh, atmosphere will, or, or its gravity will be strong enough. It'll pull it more closely and finally it, it'll just plummet straight to earth. That's what's happening with the ice crystals here. And that's where the flood came from, is the, the principle behind this. And that's why it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, because these ice crystals were entering Earth's atmosphere and flooding the entire Earth in one shot. At that point, they no longer existed in the upper atmosphere. We no longer had that harmful or, or, or that protection from the harmful radiation. Man's lifespan quickly began to decrease as a result. This was a planned thing. God has already said in the previous verse, I'm going to shorten his lifespan to 120 years. He knows this is going to happen. He has planned for it to happen. He has made a conscious decision to do it at this time. But there's something else we need to see about this word. It's not just that God knew it was coming and, and it's an intentional act. He repented but there's something else very powerful here. Okay, I'm going to repeat myself real quick here. The English definition is an internal definition. Repent happens in, in heart, thoughts, minds. The Hebrew definition is an external definition. Repent. Strong's Concordance 5162. In Bible Hub, they say, they, they don't use the word repent, they say God was sorry. And it's the word nakam. And it means 
to sigh. God sighed that he repented, that, that he made man. By implication, it is to be sorry, but in a favorable sense. It means to pity. It means to console. It even means to avenge, to see the hurt of someone and to take action and be moved in compassion by it. It doesn't mean that God went, oh no, these idiots, I hate them. I hate them, I'm gonna wipe them out. It means right here that God is saying he felt sorry. He felt, he didn't feel sorry like I made a mistake. He felt sorry for them. The other day, uh, Kate, I work with Kate, his, his wife, and, and she's uh, jabbering me and she's saying, I, I feel a little sick. I feel a little sick. I've got a headache. I'm feeling a little nauseous because she's pregnant, you know, so sometimes these things come up. And I responded, I'm sorry. I wasn't taking blame. I wasn't accepting. I wasn't saying it was my fault. I poisoned your food. I, you know, whatever. It I was made you hurt. my fault, obviously. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something to that. But I was saying, I feel bad for you. I'm having pity because you're in a bad condition right now. You're in a bad place. I hurt for you. This is what God's saying, guys. When it says God repented, it's saying God took pity of man. It's saying God comforted man. It's saying God avenged man. He's going after the sin that's destroying us. He hurts, and we're going to get into that next, because he was grieved. Guys, God hurt. This is an emotional, passionate... Guys, look at that last last word we said. Makashabeth. Uh, our thoughts, the contrivances, the evilness in our own heart, the chaos of the inner room which is destroying the house, that is revealed. God sees all that and he's distraught by it. He's hurt. He wants so much to help us and his actions are just that. They are grace. They are grace to help and to save us from here on out. They are not I hate you, you pathetic little worm. So again, the English definition of repent comes from the inside. But the Hebrew definition is an external one. It's an action. Even the implication to be sorry comes from the active verb to sigh. It's that, it's that groaning, the word of God spoke sigh you know how else do you say a, a bemoaning wail you know i mean he was just he was distraught by this and he even spoke it in that way to sigh we in our finite limited human humanness tend to see god as suddenly thinking he was wrong for making man we see this verse as saying it surprised God to get to this point. By doing that, we fail to recognize the almighty God, the almighty perfect God that exists outside of time and space who knew everything before it would happen. God's repentance is a planned thing. 
The grief he is experiencing right now is real. But he always knew it would be there. He always knew this event was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to throw into that? Just... I, okay, so I... Um, it was Rick Joyner's work that made me realize that things that we can do here can actually affect God. Uh, I always, before I really studied God and knew who he was, before I had a relationship with him, it's really easy just to see him as distant and not involved. And he's just, he's there, but he's so far above us and our petty little emotions and all these kind of things. But we only reason we have emotions, the only reason that we have laughter, the only reason that we have sorrow, the only reason that we suffer is because he does. Yes. And so, you know, that I, I, I want to take a moment just to, to, to put out a warning. I, I, this is in my heart right now. If you are at a church and your pastor does not agree that the Old Testament is important, that the Old Testament is a different God, if, if, if any of those kind of things, leave that church. Um, if that's what your church yeah. believes, if that's what your pastor believes, leave that because that tells me just simply that that, that person or that group of people in that church do not have an actual relationship with God. Uh, we can't fully understand who God is just by knowing his son. We need to know who the father is too because Jesus is also the father. And the things that we see, yeah. uh, the, the physical Jesus pictures, said. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, you need we need to we need to intimately know the Father um, as well as we intimately need to know mm-hmm. our Savior. And so, Old Testament is incredibly important. And this is a God that is not distant. This is a God that is involved with you. And this is a God that cries with you, that celebrates with you, that is willing to to uh, to defend you. To go to battle for you, uh, I just I don't think I I, I see I, I was that person I was that Christian in my early days of reading the Bible had a hard time getting through yeah. the Old Testament because I this God and it was it's it's the same thing I believed what I was reading without understanding and knowing who He was. Mm-hmm. Um, well, why could God order the complete annihilation of a civilization? Because he was defending you. Uh, There's a rhyme and reason for everything that he did. He does not make any mistakes. He is perfect. Um, So, sorry, that was just in my head. I needed to get that out there. No, absolutely. Just, if that is what your congregation or your pastor believes, I I would be very concerned. Like you said, we, we talked about it in the last uh, podcast and in the last conversation that a lot of people having the, have this feeling that there's a New Testament God and an Old Testament God, and they're different gods. I mean, they you know, it's the same God, but he had a change of heart. He yeah. had that there, there's like he had a change of mindset, and he didn't. It's the same God. He is eternal. He exists outside of time. The God who is at the beginning of creation and the God who is at the end of Armageddon is the same God throughout. Old Testament and New Testament yeah. both say he's always the same mm-hmm. you know yesterday today and tomorrow 
Yeah. And we have to understand that concept. When we're saying he's not, he's the same, not just that he maintains uh, the same ideas and the same heart. He is the same. That if we left this earth and left this time period and, and existed outside of time like he did, we would see him and the whole thing, it's just him. And there's all of eternity in his hand. He's the same throughout the entire thing. Uh, we've got to have that concept within us, guys, or we're never going to understand verses like this. We're gonna mistranslate them. We're gonna take them out of context and we're gonna limit them to our own human idea of what this should mean. Yep. I do wanna end on grieved. Uh, repentance was, was the powerful thing here and it's what I want you to pull out of this. But... He was grieved, and that's important to understand. When God, it says, and God repented, he, like we just said, he was having compassion. He was having pity. Why? Because it hurt him. It grieved him in his heart what was going on. And this is the word, otsab. And we've, come, we've had a similar word. To this we've had a word that comes from this word this word means to carve in other words to fabricate or fashion and because of that it can mean to worry to pain and and uh, to feel pain or or to cause pain it can be it, it just that 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 pain that comes from to worrying it can mean to anger or to be angry it can mean to hurt or to be sorry. But I found it fascinating. Carve. He was grieved by us. We were stabbing him. We were carving his heart up. And this comes from, the we've heard this before, where it, where it comes from. Genesis 3.16 And unto the woman he said, I, we, I will greatly multiply your Pain and your travail. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And that word was etseb. The first word, the first word was etseb. The second use of pain was itzabon. And they both came from the same root word, this one, atsab, yeah. meaning to carve. And we're, we are, we're, he is, he is struck in his heart like a knife piercing him when we cause him this grief he is being struck by us it is causing him true pain and sorrow to see us running from him like this to see us indulging in our wickedness completely and this word atsab it's ayin sheen Bet. And it is to experience the destruction of the house. I mean, think. I mean, that right there. Look at that word picture that God's going through. He is experiencing the destruction of his own house. Right here in this time. And guys, right here in our time. And it connects back. 
It connects back to the word we just said back here. Sorry, I got to scroll back to get it. Makashebeth. Makashebeth. Chaos of the inner room. So it's your own heart that is destroying the house. That last part, which is destroying the house, is the same root, is the same letters used here. Um, Ayin Shin Bet is Atsab. Makah, sorry, I'm going to say it wrong here. I got to get back. Makah Shebeth. Shebeth, destroying the house. Uh, the rest of the words are just referring to what's going on around it. Makashabeth, their hearts are destroying the house. At, uh, sorry, I got I have to read it. I have to see it in order to say it correctly. Atsab. Now we see God experiencing that destruction of the house. We're causing it. He's going through it. How much does he love us? How much does he love us that he's experiencing his house being destroyed? We're carving him. He sends his son to us and we pierce it. Mm -hmm. How much does he love us that he continues? He he says that he's the long-suffering God. I mean, this is not a slow process either. This is an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. process of us hurting him and he still says we're worth fighting for mm-hmm. yes guys I... if, if you see god in this picture as being oh that despicable humankind that's it i'm sick of them then we should have been wiped out completely he should have just ended it right there no understand what he's saying here you've got to understand the whole old testament is filled with the love and the compassion of God, just like the New Testament is. We just fail to see it because it's limited to physical manifestations, as we've said before. And so we tend to see things like the, the, the death and destruction caused as, oh, he must hate us. No, he's, he's trying his best to rescue us. He's trying his best to save us from the wickedness of our own hearts, which are destroying the very house we live in, which is going to annihilate us completely. That's what grieves him. That's what tears him. That's what's hurting him so much. And that's why his love is continually moving to rescue us. In the Old Testament, we see it as destruction and then salvation you know rescuing the nation and then destruction again because of sin and then he has to come back and save us again and so on it's just a repeated cycle so many times but the love is always there we just miss it a father loves his child even when his child curses him to his face Mm -hmm. and that's what it is he's the father and he's not going to give up on us he loves us Sometimes that means tough love, but yeah. But the simple fact is he loves us and he's not going to give up on us even when we do horrible things to him. Man. So I hope this one reached you. 
Um, what time? What's our time? A little over an hour. A little over an hour. I thought this would be even less. I thought this would be a small, and it is a smaller one compared to my last few. <laughs> but we'll go ahead and end it here. That was the important part I wanted to get out of this. This this fact that we we often don't understand this verse for for that word repentance. Guys, we've got to see the compassion. We've got to see the heart of God coming forward to love us in this verse. Mm-hmm. So, as always. This has been Scott. This has been Brad. And as always, this is not about us.